Welcome to episode 202 of the Apple and Apps and App Addict Weekly Podcast. I am Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and joining me as always is my co-host Trevor Sheridan of Apple and Apps. Join us this week as Trevor and I explore a world ruled by robots, make decisions for the dark night, perform some spells, shoot some hoops, and try to escape 36 rooms. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Looking forward to masquerading as Batman. Yes. <laughs> Among other things. Yes. And it's a pretty eventful week. There's a nice kind of span of items to talk about across Apple News apps and games. And for Apple News, Apple released macOS Sierra a week after iOS 10 and watchOS 3. And, I mean, it's essentially what Apple showed off at WWDC back in June. But now we actually get to run it and test it and see the things that Apple kind of promised. Like the one thing I was most interested to see was that hard or the hard drive cleaning up system to not use as much storage space on your Mac. And for my testing, I really couldn't, I mean, I went through the whole process and it didn't seem to do what Apple showed off on stage. Yeah, I thought it was going to be this mirror. I actually have better luck with another cleaning app I have installed on my Mac than that thing did. Like it didn't seem to free up anything. Yeah, the, even the choice, it doesn't even give you, like, the choices you kind of expected. It, like, clears out movies you've seen before. Right, yeah. I don't I don't know how they magically got insane amounts of free space on their little demo, with it, or at least what they were saying that they could get. But, yeah, it definitely didn't work. The, the one thing I was really looking forward to was the um, unified clipboard. So now you would be able to copy and paste between your Mac and your iPhone, your iPad, and all that, and then just be able to paste. It would basically use a combination of iCloud and Bluetooth, I guess, so it knows when you're close to your computer. So if you're not near your your phone, it's not going to copy that content and mess up your your normal copy paste. It only does it if your device happens to be near your your computer. And I tried it, and it didn't seem to work that well. Like, I would copy, and then sometimes it would paste, sometimes it wouldn't get that in the buffer, even if I waited a little bit to make sure it had enough time to send it to iCloud. And it just definitely didn't seem ready for prime time. I don't know how they got it to work, well, how they thought it was working so well, because it definitely didn't work that way for me. Yeah, I can't even test it because you need a 2013 or newer Mac, and I have a 2011 MacBook Air, so I can't even test it because they must have implemented Bluetooth 4.0 at that point. And okay. so I don't even know how it would work. I mean, I yeah. understand the concept, but I didn't right, get to right. try it. But you know how well it would work, yeah. yeah. And then the Siri worked well. That worked as advertised. Like, that, where you just give the command, and you can use it to help you find stuff on the computer, and you can get the weather and any of the other stuff that you might want. Uh, that that one worked really well. I did set up the, the iCloud uh, sharing across all my devices, and now I have – it takes up 15 gigs of your hard drive space in order to do it. Or at least it said the content I had in my documents and desktop would take up 15 gigs of space. So I had to reserve 15 gigs to do that. But now I can use 15 gigs of my 200 iCloud storage that I pay for to pass files back and forth across all my devices, which I haven't really found a use for it yet, but it's kind of neat. Yeah, mine, I only had 2.3 gigabytes worth of stuff on my desktop and documents. 
So okay. that was a little bit easier to swallow. And then going back to Siri, the coolest part is that you can save the results. Because often you might ask your phone and then it's like self-contained in that one thing. It's not like a continuous experience. So this lets you kind of continue or save things for later. You might ask for something and then be working on something else and then come back to it later. Right, right. Yeah, that is kind of neat. And, I mean, there's other smaller things like Apple Pay's on the web and then the photo memories from iOS 10 you can access in the Photos app. But for pretty much Mac OS Sierra, it's not that big of an update. You know, iMessage, it's not the full-on sticker and iMessage apps from iOS. It's just the enhanced emojis and stuff. And there's not like i guess when they were going over it i felt like there'd be more and then you actually get it and you just start talking about it and it's like there's not really actually that much to go over right and it was actually a really quick install too the one thing i still haven't gotten used to is on the mac when you update your os you actually download like a whole new app from the app store it's not like an update that it knows about you actually have to download the separate app and install it which is still taking some getting used to that that it's not just kind of oh there's an update available because it's all free so you would think if they'd want to get people onto the new os as simply as possible without them having to go even necessarily download anything so it seems like kind of almost anti what they normally would do like when you on ios it just prompts you saying oh we have an update to ios 10 let's install it and it just seems like it's an extra step that kind of forces the user to be proactive rather than just responding to an update request. Yeah, I definitely see. You have to actually go to the App Store. Right. Yeah. The one other thing is that picture-in-picture from iOS 9 for the iPad. I haven't been able to get it to work because websites have to be updated to support it where the video will pop out and then you can work on other stuff. It seems really well-suited for the Mac, but I haven't even got it to get it to work because mainly the videos I would be watching would be on YouTube and you have to install some like temporary code or Netflix and that's not updated yet. So I oh, okay. Yeah. Either. I didn't, I, I figured that you'd must have to use the Safari browser for that stuff to work the way it would. I never use, I use Chrome, so I didn't really try it. Yeah. And so that's pretty much Mac OS Sierra. You can also unlock your computer with your watch or iPhone, but I don't actually lock my computer. So I guess maybe I'm crazy, but it well, seems like an extra hassle step I never have needed. Yeah, I, I had an app that I installed that used to let me do that, and it was kind of neat, but then I just realized it was just as quick for me not to dig out my phone. Like, I could see maybe with the watch it would be, but not to dig out my phone, press my finger on the Touch ID, and unlock. By then, I can type in my password. It's not that hard. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I guess it depends on your workflow, or if you have that watch, it would be super simple to do it. Yep. And so that's Mac OS Sierra. It's a free download and honestly it just kind of entices me more and more just for apple to announce new macbook pros sometime <laughs> before the end of 2016 <laughs> maybe they're too busy trying to buy expensive cars or something yeah something <laughs> <laughs> yeah them i don't think apple's gonna get in the mclaren market but that's okay <laughs> and so that leaves us with new apps and we're going to talk about an interesting one that's been around for a few months but 
it's neat and that it actually works as advertised. Yes. It, yeah, it's made by Masquerade Technologies, and the actual app is just the initials MSQRD, if you're searching on the App Store. But I guess it stands for Masquerade, and it's just that photo booth style app, but it automatically applies it to your face once it recognizes where you are. And then you can record videos because as you move your head around, the system always has whatever photo booth effect applied to your face. It moves with you. And that also includes animations that are tied to the way your mouth moves. So it always is checking all of that to offer a relatively authentic look to the photo booth effects. Yeah, this is by far the best face tracking I've seen on any of these style of apps. Like, it sticks with you. You can mess it up if you like put your hand on your face or you move your face too far out but you can actually get some good range of motion on your face and have it still recognize it and like you said there's some that are special ones where if you open your mouth or even if like you there's a one where you're putting on uh night vision goggles and you can flip your head down and then it knows to like flip the goggles down and then it goes into night vision mode or there's one where you're a boxer and when you open your mouth then the the two boxing gloves come up and punch you in the face and you slowly get more and more bruised there's one where like you act surprised you open your mouth and you either start crying or one where you open your mouth and then you get these really big surprised eyes that pop out of your face but it, it is really impressive that this thing works so well because there's a ton of these apps on the app store but the vast majority of them look terrible like you can see your face behind it it barely even moves correctly with your face but this one seems to be so accurate and dead on yeah the neatest ones are those animated ones like you said you can open your mouth and you have the big bulgy surprised eyes or the batman versus superman laser eyes of superman yes yeah, yeah. that one's pretty cool and then there's that one where you kind of you look like Enchantress from Suicide Squad. I don't know what it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which one. Yeah, yeah. And that one, it seemed to be the most authentic where it just looked like my face was all painted in with the get up and exactly proper. Oh, yeah, and, it and you can move your face around. It just sticks with it. And there's all kinds of face painting ones. There's animal ones. There's animated ones. And, oh, there's an awesome one where you're like a cardboard box for a head. And when you move your head around, the top of the box flaps open and closed. And it looks so natural and accurate that I, it just, I don't know how they do it. It just works so well. Yeah, I like anything that works as it is advertised. Yes. And you can just go through all these different ones and just experiment and see what they do. And then you get into the whole position of actually recording any video, especially because it mimics your mouth. So right now when I'm doing this podcast, I can see I have like the Joker face on <laughs> and it responds exactly as I'm doing it. Yeah, and well, and that's the other thing. All of these things are free within the app. There's no, I, not that I could tell any kind of in-app purchases. Like you can download any of these, and there's a lot of them in there for free. I, I did have the app crash as soon as I tried to download any of like the flag ones where it looks like you're like a sports fan. You have your your country's flag painted on your face. Yeah, those for some reason it crashes the app as soon as I try to download them. But other than that, all the other ones seem to work fine. Yep, so that's MSQRD. We can call it Masquerade if we want. It's going to be free. And is it iOS or iPhone only? 
Uh, it's universal. Okay. And the other, you want to make sure you look for MSQRD-Live Filters and Face Swap for video selfies or something in that range. Because there's other ones that use that MSQRD that's not even by the same company in their title. So just look for the one that's MSQRD Live Filters and you'll be able to find it. Yep. And so that's Masquerade. Be sure to give it a try and just see all the different things you can do. Like you can even be Batman. So that way when you're playing Batman, <laughs> the Telltale series, you have that full on authentic feel. And Perfect. so, yeah, Telltale has been doing a really good job, whether it's The Wolf Among Us, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Minecraft Story Mode. Just they keep churning them out. And now they've turned their attention to Batman. And it lets you play as Batman kind of into his career. You know, it's not that origin story. He is full-on Batman. He knows some of the villains, and he starts interacting with, like, well-known characters like Selina Kyle or Copper, or Oswald's Copper Stop. Copper Pot. Yeah, Copper Pot. Copper Pot. Pot. Yeah. Pot. And so yes. <laughs> you'll get to interact with these people, and it builds up that whole kind of comic origin story but you do it in a way where you get to play as Batman, so you get to pull off the various action sequences, the various taps and swipes, or you get to play as Bruce Wayne. It switches back and forth, and as Bruce Wayne, you have really meaningful decisions that kind of movies and uh, TV shows, they just haven't really dived into being Bruce Wayne. It's kind of like it's a known idea, but you don't actually get to full-on be Bruce Wayne. And so now you have that approach to interact with the politics where you're helping Harvey Dent run for mayor or you interact with the like crime bosses. And so you have to make vital decisions of how Bruce Wayne puts on his public kind of persona and is viewed in the city of Gotham. And then just the main idea that every time you've ever seen Batman, whether it's a comic book, a TV show, or a movie, Batman's decisions are made and you just witness them. Now you actually get to make those decisions rather than just witnessing them. Right. More than anything else, you feel that moral kind of pull that he has of which way does he want to approach the situation. And you normally just see it play out on the screen. But now you actually kind of are invested in this and really have to figure out how do I want this Batman to be? Like, do I want him to to kill? Do I want him to team up with, with these bad guys? Or do I want to, like, stay the moral ground and try to stay honest and, and follow what my parents would want? And so you're it's a much different feeling than any kind of Batman game you've had before. But at the same time, it looks just like you're inside of a comic book and you're playing through a comic book. The one thing I don't really know is how, what canon they're using. So how the, this story relates to either, is it based off of a comic book line or is it an entirely new path that they're, they're taking? Because you mentioned Oswald Cobblepot before and his story seems different than I was familiar with as far as his relationship to Bruce Wayne. I didn't realize there was a certain relationship there. And so it's a little bit different than I'm used to, but maybe this is in the comics and I just don't read the comics, but uh, it's definitely interesting. And you do feel like the decisions you're making affect the story. Yeah. I do wonder if it's an original story that telltale has come up with. Or because we know that like the Dark Knight and Batman Begins from 
the recently those were based on Frank Miller's comics, and then there's the old style of classic traditional comics, the golden age from like the 40s or 50s, or there's the new modern the new retelling. Series. Yeah, the Gotham TV series on Fox. So there's different versions of it, and part of me hopes that Telltale made their own kind of story, the same way they did with Walking Dead or Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so. As all these Telltale series, it's just episode one for now. It's going to be part of a five-part series. And this one takes about two hours, depending on your pace or your speed through the thing. And it's going to leave you wanting episode two right away, but you're going to have to wait. They leave a really good cliffhanger dealing with Bruce Wayne and his parents and his past and dealing with the city of Gotham. Yeah, so out on so I actually haven't tried this on the iPad yet. Normally, I play all these these Telltale games on the iPad. I'm actually playing this one right now on the Xbox, and they actually have episode two came out this week for Xbox. So the iPad is is behind as it usually is by like one episode, and it usually takes a while to catch up. I think the only one where they were really dead on with each other was Minecraft, where they kind of kept them at the same time. But it's it seems like this one has a lot more action. Granted, this is the first time I'm using a controller to play it, but it seems like there's a lot more where you're in those fight sequences. There's a lot more sequential, rapid actions you have to pull off because normally what happens in these games is you have a a little act, uh, some some dialogue happens, and then you might have to make a dialogue choice. But then you get into these sequences where you have to swipe in certain directions or tap in certain spots. And so, for the controller I'm using, you're basically hitting buttons, combinations of buttons, swiping the stick in certain directions. And it just seems like it's a lot more quick action, which relates to the story really well because now it feels like you're kind of in that fight, even though you're not fighting fighting you're hitting buttons like named buttons but still because you have to pull off these actions sequentially really quickly it feels almost like you're in the middle of that action yeah so the the same kind of action sequences are on the ipad but it's not as complex as you either swipe in various kind of curved angles or you do a single tap or you do tap with two fingers but i mean it's not going to be the most complex as you're going through it, but you still are in the idea of you're tapping on particular areas to fight as Batman. Right, right. But it just seemed like even even if I wasn't using the controller and playing this on the Xbox, it just seems like this is more actions than they've done in the past. Like, yeah, it, it seems it was, like each game they've done that. They've like implemented a few more actions available. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's a lot more quick pace than maybe the previous games. I've, they started to try to ramp it up a little bit. I think that people just want more of a challenge, and I think this seems like they're really doing that, but it fits so well within the story of Batman because you do have these action-packed fights where kicking and punching and throwing of things and blocking and all kinds of various actions that you'd want to really have the player kind of get into. And then you also, you do more than just fight as Batman. There's also the detective mode where you can scan different items and then you need to link them together to kind of figure out what happened in the crime scene. It reminded me of the trace. Yes. Yeah. yeah just yeah, implemented yeah. right within the Batman narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It kind of gives you kind of like these ebbs and flows of the action and it feels like 
like you're really getting into all aspects of the character and not just like a normal Batman game. You just fight. And where now we have Bruce Wayne, you'd want some of that fighting, but then you also want to have other aspects of his personality that you're dealing with. And then they also have some nice vital decisions where you have to choose how to give information. Do you side with Commissioner Gordon or, you know, do you give it to the reporter? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then you also have the decision as uh, Batman to just kill someone or leave them for the police to arrest. So you have that decision. And then you can also prepare your attack where it's kind of like the detective mode, but you get to like target that there's four enemies and then how you want to deal with each enemy and then sync it all together to then have your plan of attack rather than just go in and attack right guns yeah. bla- not yeah. not going guns blazing there's a little more thought behind it yeah yeah the whole idea of being batman which is pretty neat right. that they've implemented it that far yeah i this is right up there with my favorites from from the series because it just it adds so many new elements and just the story itself is so interesting and because these are characters you are familiar with there's kind of that thing that just draws you in Anyways, like with The Walking Dead, they were new characters for the start of it, at least. But once you've now done one of the series, you now know some of the characters. But this one, there's almost that instant recognition that you have. So you can immediately dive in if you're familiar with Batman and just start to see all these characters, you know, and you get pulled more and more into the story because of that. Yep. The one kind of drawback of the game, I mean, it's a really immersive experience to put you in the costume of Batman, but you have these various hiccups. I mean, I was running on the iPad Air 2, so it's not the latest iPad, but it's still not like an old sluggish device. But the game still had some times where you're in those action sequences, you're doing the taps and swipes, and you're unsure if the game actually recognized your action. And then there's other points where the dialogue didn't match up, you know, the voice acting didn't match up with the movement of the lips. It seemed like the audio was either behind or way ahead. And these kept popping up, and it kind of distracts you and detracts from the immersive experience. So even on the Xbox, I did notice the delayed with the actions, where you didn't necessarily know if you hit it or not. Uh, I didn't notice the delay on the dialogue with the lips and things, but there definitely were like various stutters where it seemed to kind of almost have a little problem here and there. It must be something with the engine, if it's happening on multiple platforms, uh, that maybe it's just something they got to work out. But uh, yeah, I definitely did notice it. Even on on an Xbox One, there were definitely a few performance issues. But was it the Xbox One S? (laughs) No, it was not the Xbox One S. I would hope that it would work on the Xbox One, but yes. And so, I mean, that's Batman. That's really the only kind of problem I came up with, and it just seems like it's such a resource-intensive game. It kind of comes with the territory. Right, yeah, it never really bothered me so much because you are so engrossed in the story and interested in what's happening that you kind of can forgive some of this stuff. So it never was so much that it took me out of the game, but it, you definitely did notice it there once in a while. Yep, so that's Batman the Telltale, Telltale series. It's four ninety nine. it's Universal, and again, this is just episode one, though the season pass is available to unlock two for, to five as they come out. Yeah, and that's fourteen ninety nine, I believe, for it. So uh, you save 20% by buying that pass instead of buying them all each individually. Yeah, and if you don't plan on 
if you don't want to spend that much, it's probably wise not to try episode one. Right, yeah. Because you'll get into it. Well, in the, then if you're still on the fence, eventually they usually, months down the road, so you have to wait a while, but they eventually usually offer the first episode for free at some point. Yeah, and then I'm you can try saying, it out then. You don't want to yes, get into you, it if yes, you don't no, want to. No, if you play it, you're going to want to play the rest. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get hooked. So keep that in mind. Yes. <laughs> and the next up is Primordia, which is a retro-inspired point-and-click adventure game where you get to play as essentially a robot with who's built his own little like, kind of robot companion, and it's in a time after man has ceased to exist, and now it's pretty much just a robot land. And... This one robot comes and takes your power core, shoots you down, but you're a robot, so you just rise back up, I guess. The game doesn't fully flesh <laughs> that story aspect out. But now you have to kind of get that power back to your ship, and you're going to be doing so by exploring new areas and that classic point-and-click adventure style of finding items, piecing them together, and progressing the storyline by figuring out how everything goes together and where everything is. Yeah, this is by Wajidai, who do like a lot of these PC, but in the old style of the Sierra games and the LucasArts style games. So they, they look like classic point-and-click adventure games. They don't look like modern graphics. They, they have that really old style feel, but they are brand new games. And then once they've made them for the PC, they port them over for playing on iPad or iOS devices. And one of the games that I really love from them is called Gemini Rue. And this one kind of reminds me of that in points and it's just there's this funny dialogue there's two like characters that really interact well with each other's the main guy Horatio who kind of looks human but even though so at first you actually think he's human then you find out he's kind of a robot and then he has like you said his little sidekick Crispin who's like this little floating ballish type robot but these games they do a really nice job of creating worlds and stories that draw you right in and you're really interested in what happens and what's going to happen next to these characters figuring out the world that they're in because they're always these unique worlds that you have nothing to do with like anything you really know and it's just the story itself just draws you right in and if you like those classic style point and click adventures it just has that whole feel and aesthetic to all the stuff like I grew up on Sierra games and that's what I love playing. And this just hits it right for me because it feels like those old type of games. Yeah, I definitely, you see that everywhere and all that they did for me, it seemed like the first I started the game and I was like, not really interested at the outset and you start going down this path and things start to annoy you. So I decided (laughs) to clear the slate and restart the whole game And doing so really helped out. It seems like I fully got into and invested in the story. And you start to just appreciate the way the characters interact with each other, interact with the world, and then the overarching storyline of where they've placed it and how these robots have to deal in this world that they're in. And then you just get to enjoy the game. There's still a few kind of annoyances, just the way you have to essentially drag your finger across the screen to find any kind of hot spots that you might interact with. It's not always obvious as kind of the artwork blends together. And then the actual inventory system is a bit tedious because a lot of these games 
now have you know that bottom bar where you have quick access to this this one you have to tap on a button to access your inventory so you always it's like removed in a menu pop-up that you have to keep going back in and out of especially if you want to drag an item into one another from the inventory or then back out into the world yeah so the one thing i did notice was like as far as the hotspot goes their previous titles, I never had problems. It will, I would say, rarely had problems figuring out what something I could tap on was. This one, more than any of the other games I played, and I played a lot of theirs. They had like four or five uh, titles in the Blackwell series, and then they had Gemini Root, which I already mentioned, and I think one other one. And this one, by far, was the toughest to figure out. I think it's just because of the coloring, and it's like a really dark world that they're in, and to figure out where you have to tap uh, to either interact, not necessarily with objects, but more like places within the current screen. And so you end up relying a lot on holding your finger down, which then reveals all the hotspots, and then you know where what the various things are that you can interact with. And I've never had to do that in any of their other titles, so it did get a little frustrating uh, is from that aspect, but as far as the inventory thing goes, once I got used to it, so you basically just have to top, touch the top of the screen, and it brings down like this thing where you can access your map, and you can access uh, one other thing, and then your inventory. Once you're in the inventory, dragging to combine items is fairly easy, but it is it is feels like an extra step. Like they could have left that on the screen somewhere the whole time uh, and maybe just shrunk the other stuff down a little bit, but then it probably would have been tougher to hit certain touch points or hot spots, especially if you're on a small screen device. So I think that's why they had to do it. I don't, I didn't look to, for screenshots to see how it's done on the PC, but I'm guessing it's because of small screen devices. They have to have that thing kind of hide and then you access it separately, but it is like an extra step that doesn't seem like you should have to do. Yeah. It's not like, Oh my God, I can't deal with this. It's just annoying enough that you notice it. Right, especially if you're doing a lot of interacting with objects and trying to switch out objects. Once you have one object selected, it's fairly quick. But if you want to reuse that object multiple times. But yeah, if you're constantly trying to swap out objects or you don't know what to do, so you want to try each object, it's a lot of tapping to go in, grab a new object, try it, go in, grab a new object, try it. So yeah, I mean, in, even then, like some of the objects, because this is like a foreign futuristic world, they're not immediately familiar. You can look at each object and kind of gives you a description, but because it's like that low, lower resolution graphic style and because they're odd objects, there is a lot more you're going to be going in there just to figure out what's what. And then one thing that helped me the second playthrough is that I saw that Crispin has a hint system. I didn't even notice that the first time, so I kept getting stuck in stupid places. So once you figure out Crispin's hint system, I mean, he doesn't give it fully away. It still gives you its own kind of riddle-puzzled clue, but at least pushes you in the right direction so you're not just in, like, a completely wrong area and never going to find the solution. Right. I kind of used him by accident one time, and he gave me a hint. I'm like, whoa, that was super helpful. Thank you, Crispin. <laughs> I'm like, I, how did I get that? And then it took me a second to figure out how I triggered it by accident. But yeah, there was one time he's, I thought I just waited long enough or tried enough bad things that all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to throw this guy a bone because he's just <laughs> too bad at this. And then all of a sudden he gave me a hint that kind of set me on the right path. 
Yep. And so that's Primordia. It really emphasizes exploration above all else. You're going to do a lot of just kind of experimenting with interacting with everything and then all your inventory and the various areas you can go in the world to make it forward. Yep. Yeah, definitely recommend it. If you like this point and click adventures, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And so it's $4.99 in Universal, Primordia. And then up next is Sorcery 4. And so this is the fourth in the series based on Steven Jackson's title of the same name. And when made for iOS, it has that full kind of text-based choose-your-own-adventure style with that gamebook setup. So you're going to have like an actual map. You know, some books have the map on the front cover. This one lets you fully interact with that map. And then there's going to be also combat sequences where you can adjust the power of your attack or choose to defend, and you're going to go back and forth with an enemy to try to beat them and maintain your stamina. And then you also have to manage your resources as you're going along. So you have those few different elements to kind of deal with. And so the interesting thing is that your character's progression continues between Sorcery, Sorcery 2, Sorcery 3, and Sorcery 4. So I decided to go back and start at the original Sorcery, and so I haven't gotten to the fourth installment, but I did just complete the original Sorcery, and it's... I mean, I missed it the first time it came out. It's a really great experience with that Inkle style that they did in 80 Days where the text comes at you in kind of short bits to make it easier to progress through the story. And then there's those compelling kind of decisions on the map as well as the combat sequences to change it up and keeps you moving forward through the entire game. So I'm interested to start two with my continued character to make it all the way to four. Yeah, this is, I love the first one I played through and I played through, I think, most of the second one, most of the third one. And then now I started the fourth one. Unfortunately, I still didn't have my I didn't have have my the third second and third stone stalled so i didn't know what my cloud spell password was to bring back up my character so i started from scratch on four i i'm not going to reveal much of four because i don't want to spoil anything but it does it follows that same format as the previous ones there are a few new game elements that they've added which they've pretty much done for each one they add some new game element that kind of switches things up a little bit but you still have that core thing of the chunk text that appears and kind of stitches itself together as you're making decisions and it's all about survival and so you have to basically make all these decisions of where you're going to go and then various things will pop up like all of a sudden you'll have like something you have to fight and you go into that fight mode and even in the fight mode it's a whole risk reward system where you have to decide how much of your power you're going to use to defend where the next time or how much you're going to use to attack where then the next time he might have it kind of gives you a hint that maybe this guy is going to have a powerful attack the next time so you kind of want to plan to save some and because you, anything you use to attack you're going to lose some of that for your defense so you constantly have to play this balancing thing and the nice thing is even if you lose a whole bunch of stamina in a battle you can redo the battle and try again and see if you can do better the next time or even if you make a bad decision you can go back to any point along the way and retrace your steps and try to 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 do better and start over from a certain location so it's just this really beautiful like topological map that you're doing the whole game and then uh you it's the story that unveils and there's so many decision points and so many choices that this thing you could replay it 
I don't even know, like insane numbers of times, and you could have a different story. Granted, it still follows one main tale, but different decisions that you're going to make, different things you're going to fight, different things you're going to find, and it's and you constantly have to make sure you're finding food to feed yourself, that you're going to survive, and it's just a really intense interactive story with so many decisions that you get to make that you become so invested in the game that you want to see what happens and you want to move forward and see how the story ends and the fourth one brings it all to a conclusion and ends the the tale and it's just an amazing series that they've done and they deserve all the kudos they're getting for this yeah it's just I mean, everything that you said, it, they do such a good job of making the full-on experience. Because the story itself, you know, it uses strange terms. It's that distant land, kind of all new, unfamiliar aspects. But it makes it accessible, even though it's using these strange terms, until you figure it out and you're just compelled to see what your character can do and interact with story. And then you have that whole magical element. And then you interact with strange creatures as well as magical entities, and it changes kind of your decisions because sometimes you might just want to go and explore something that may not be the best for your survival. And then there's that consistent rewind point at the bottom of the screen, so you can just go back in case you fall into a pit of snakes and <laughs> die. You can just rewind and then choose to go left instead of going right. You sound like you're speaking from experience. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and luckily, I mean, I've only played the first one and I fully completed the game. I don't. I didn't keep track of how long it actually took, but it went rel- by relatively quickly. So that means it's a good experience. And then it leaves you right wanting to go into Sorcery 2, and then you still have 3 and 4 to get to. If you do want to start the series, it's best to go right from the original rather than jumping into Sorcery 4 to get the full-on story. But... I mean, but you can jump yeah. in right from the fourth one. If for some reason you just don't have time and you just want to experience it and try the fourth one, and then you'll know it comes to a final conclusion, you can do that. But you're obviously going to miss out on all of the story. They give you a little quick recap, but you're going to miss out on all of the story that happens in those first three. And I, I mean, there's a trend here with the first three games that we talked about. All of these are are kind of lengthy, interactive experiences that you're going to play through. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't necessarily finish all of these yet this week, because they are interactive and you get engrossed in them and they take a while to play through. But you're getting your money's worth. These are paid games, but there's content there. It's not like you're paying for nothing. You get a nice wealth of content and meaningful experiences with these games. Yeah, those all three of these games share that idea of like an act, like an immersive experience that you'll actually remember, not some quick thing to fill in your day. It's something that you want to set aside time to kind of fully appreciate. Like with Sorcery 4, you're not going to play it standing in line at the <laughs> store. You want to play it kind of at home where the room's quiet. You can just like kind of reading a book, but you have all that interactive digital capabilities of your iOS device. Right, and the way they've they've crafted it, you can do it in small chunks. So if you only have a limited amount of time, the text is chunked so you're not reading large passages. You have you can make a few decisions, go to a few places and then come back to it. And so uh, it's set up for either a short or long experience, no matter how much time you have, you can invest it in that in sorcery and then come back to it. 
Yep, so Sorcery 4 is four ninety nine, and it's Universal. I think all four episodes are four ninety nine. Yeah, unfortunately, they were on all on sale for ninety nine cents prior to this being released, but now they're they're all back up to four ninety nine. And do they offer a bundle? Uh yeah, they used to have a bundle on iOS. I'm sure they must have a new one with with the uh, fourth one included. I haven't looked to see though. Yep, and so that's the Sorcery series, and then. There's NBA 2K17. It's, I mean, 2K16 we talked about a year ago at this time. And that was the first game that I could truly, the first sports game that was a simulation that I could truly say I could recommend, like, this is a fully <laughs> self-contained kind of sports experience on your iOS device. It's not like a mini game. You're not just shooting three-pointers or dunking or something. It's the full five-on-five NBA basketball with the upcoming 2016-17 NBA season, you can play as your favorite team of all 30 teams. You have all the officially licensed players. And with 2K17, it takes everything that 2K16 did well and just enhances it in subtle areas. And that is all you really need because 2K16 was that good. And now 2K17, it enhances all the player face models so they look more authentic. When you're looking at Steph Curry or LeBron James, it looks more like who they are. And then on the court, the arena, the actual stands seem to be more fleshed out and more developed. And then they introduce new gameplay controls. And so you still have the on-screen virtual controls where you have the joystick on the left and then action buttons on the right. But with the action buttons this year, on offense, you have the dribble and the sprint button in the bottom right corner. And then you can drag from that button, you know, without lifting your finger to the pass or the shoot button to do kind of in-motion action so you can do a pass on the run or you can do a layup or a runner or get into your dunk formation or motion all from just without lifting your finger rather than lifting up from the sprint and then going and tapping on these individual buttons and the same on the defensive end from the focus defense over to the block or the steal attempt all for that emphasis on fluid motion. That's what it seems like. 2K16 was a little bit truncated in the actual basketball on-court gameplay, and 2K17 just makes it more fluid for everything to let you kind of run offense. Like the first, or for 2K16, you kind of tried to dribble ahead to the basket and hope for the best. This game, it seems like you can at least run a little bit of offense because all five players kind of move by themselves. There's even AI players that will do off-ball movement. Like, you can set up an open three-pointer where you drive to the basket, drive and kick, or you can do an alley-oop pass, or you can post up and then toss out to shooters or throw a pass to a runner at the rim. And so it all seems to be more fluid so you can actually get some offensive possessions that aren't just driving to the basket and hoping for the best. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I saw that there's a um, there were like a whole bunch of in-app purchases for it. This is a paid game, but is that for like just alternate uniforms or something? Or what is all? Do you have any idea what all that? They had all kinds of virtual currency packs. I think. Yeah, so you don't have to deal with them. It's they have in-game coins, and those coins you can use to upgrade. In my career mode. So you have the season mode where you play with your favorite team. Then there's the my career mode, which lets you have one player and then you control their entire experience from college through the draft to being drafted and then playing on a team and trying to get to the Hall of Fame 
um, and improving your stats season by season, and you just control that player rather than controlling the whole team. So if okay. you're the point guard, you're going to dribble around and dictate the passing, or if you're going to shoot, and then you're graded based on how you perform. But you also can use virtual currency to upgrade your player's attributes. So you can improve their shooting or their passing or whatever the case may be. But they emphasize in 2K17 that they have more free-flowing virtual currency in the game. I mean, I didn't even know. I don't know where the shop is in the app to actually (laughs) buy it. And it seems like every game that I play, I earn 500 coins no matter how I perform. And the various attributes, you don't want to... I mean, if you want to have your rookie be like he's Steph Curry right in the first year, that's fine. But if you just want to like progress like a natural player progression system, you're going to earn coins perfectly for that. Okay, okay, yeah. I just always it always makes me a little nervous when I see those in-app purchases on a on a premium paid game. I think it just gives you the option because even on the console version, the sixty dollars version, you can buy the coins oh, in the right. same yeah. way. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, with NBA 2K17, it's not going to rival your PS4 or your Xbox One version. It's a completely separate game, but it's still, for iOS, it's self-contained to be a standalone basketball simulation offering that you'll want to fully play with your favorite team, and then you get to spend $8 instead of $60. It's not going to replace the PS4 version, but you can definitely get away and with it and fully enjoy basketball for the upcoming season on iOS. Right. Okay. And that's there's also the blacktop mode, which is kind of like a NBA street style where you can play one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, all the way up to five-on-five. And it includes legends. So I did the three-on-three setup, and I had Wilt Chamberlain, James Worthy, and John Stockton on my team. And it's, you know, three-on-three street ball, it's a completely different way to play, but it still maintains that fluid nature that NBA 2K17 offers. And then also this year they added third-party controller support. They didn't actually have it last year. So if you oh, like that's that, right. They didn't. Yeah. yeah, if you like that familiar controller setup, you now have it on iOS. And do you know, do, do they support Apple TV with this or not? Do you have any idea? I think that... I know that they updated 2K16 to have that. Okay, but I don't think Two K Seventeen has it at launch. Okay, okay, yeah. It's some of these, the, some of the games, they don't tend to do it right away, and then eventually they'll add it. But okay, cool. Actually, the the App Store they added a designation that shows if it has a a watch app, a message app, or an Apple TV app. Oh, it does. Yeah. I have noticed some of them say like in the description now they say stickers. They, they've started to put it in the description, but it's not. There's no little thing that says. Uh, that says that it supports stickers or message. Yeah, at the top of the screen, it would show offers iMessage app or offers offers Apple Watch app. It's part of oh, iOS okay. 10. Oh, okay. And the same thing for Apple TV because with TVOS 10, if you download an app, I think on your iOS device that has an Apple TV app and you have automatic downloads set up turned it on, will yeah. download it on your apple tv yeah i turned that on and i did notice one that i downloaded showed up on on my apple tv and so nba 2k17 doesn't have that designation yet okay okay but here right on twitter it shows offers apple tv app so yeah there's a little designation if it does okay cool but yeah that's nba 2k17 it's 7.99 and it's universal 
And then one last one I just want to mention because we've been talking about all paid games. So here's a fun little freebie for you. It's called Test Chamber Challenge. And this is kind of like a mashup between that idiot test or the moron test and like a puzzle platformer. And basically you're like this little guy with a with a baseball cap and you walk into this room and there's this weird old dude and he's got a clipboard and he gives you like a one sentence little thing like find a way up or some way. And basically in each of these rooms, you're trying to find a way out the exit door. Sometimes the exit door is visible. Other times it's not. You can't even see it. Uh, Sometimes it's locked and you have to find a way to unlock it. And basically you're just trying. He it's like sometimes a play on words that he gives you. Sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out the solution on how to get out of this room. And it's just a fun, quick little, there's only 36 levels. It's free. Uh, and you're trying to figure it out. My daughter and I played it side by side. She was on her iPod touch. I was on my iPad and we just had a blast going through it. it I mean, it won't take it that long. There is a optional watch an ad and you get a hint. I never needed a hint for any of these, uh, but it's still kind of fun, just that little puzzle, escape the room type of thing. Uh, and then there's there's one little aspect that they do that's a really uh, unique, fun puzzle aspect. I won't say anything to ruin it, but it, it kind of forces you to do certain things to solve some of these rooms. And it's just a fun, free game. And so that's Test Chamber Challenge. And so... Are each of the 36 levels offering a unique challenge? Yes, so they they do. And some of them kind of do a callback to previous rooms, so you kind of have to remember what you did. There's one room that looks like Super Mario Brothers. Like, the two guys turn into, like, retro 8-bit versions of themselves, and they move like Super Mario, and you basically have to jump up to to hit blocks and things and knock out the guy that's moving back and forth, the enemy in that that particular level. So they, they have fun with it. And it's a lot of, it's kind of charming and, and just, it's a silly fun. And what's like an example of one particular level you remembered? So there was, well, I don't want to give the solution to him. So like there was one where, where like there were a whole bunch of like, lights in the screen you got to figure out how to light up all these lights uh by doing something and then by lighting up all the lights then you'll be able to open the door and exit the room and you got to figure out how to get all these lights lit up and you'll see something causes the lights to light up so now you have to perform this in a certain way in order to get all the lights lit up sounds good yep it's it's free and fun so test chamber challenge and I think that's everything for episode 202. That's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later. <laughs>